Hey, welcome to the Black Knight Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sal Interdonado. The Black Knight Nation podcast is sponsored by Higher Echelon. Higher Echelon is a company run by Joe Ross, former Army fullback. Podcast. I'm your host, Sal Interdonado. The Black Knight Nation podcast. Little audio there, sorry. Uh, Joe Ross is run by um, former Army fullback, former Army assistant coach, and uh, former Army officer. We thank Joe Ross and Higher Echelon for sponsoring this podcast. This is going to be our roundtable wrap, season wrap-up podcast. We have an esteemed panel here. We have Connor Crean from um, Barstool Sports Zero Dark Thirty uh, podcast. We have Dan and Rob here from Ask for Football. And we're just going to talk about the season um, a little bit. And uh, we're going to talk about my top 10 players of the season. And we're going to get into um, top plays and all that like. You guys want to follow us on Black Knight Nation, all the podcasts, YouTube, and the Twitter and the Instagram. Um, Dan, uh, where can uh, let's get the plugs? Where, where can we where can we follow your guys' work? Uh, we're at as for football on all social media. Asforfootball.com. It's very easy to find us. I'm always amazed that people don't know where to find us. As for football, just like as for class, but with football. Gotcha, uh, and Connor. Uh, where can we where where can they find you? I mean, you're 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 a little... <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, at Captain Cons on all platforms, and then. Our podcast is at zero blog thirty, and that's zero blog three zero uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for correcting me on that. I really appreciate it. Um, that's all good. Go- people people do that all the time, so it's like interchangeable almost at this point. <laughs> and Rob, this is the first time for Rob. We got to welcome Rob to the uh, Black Knight Nation podcast. This is the first time, Rob. Thanks for thanks for jumping on. Hey, not a problem. Uh, always ready to talk Army football. Let's do this. Yeah, I'm gonna let's get into my top ten players um, for the season. Um, I'll go from ten to one, I guess. Um, I guess that's how you do it. Um, at number ten, I had Jabari Moore. Jabari Moore at at number ten. Number nine, I had Zach Harding, the punter, senior punter. Number eight, I had Isaiah Alston, wide receiver. Number seven, I had Markel Broughton, uh, captain, junior captain, safety. Number six, I had Tyrell Robinson, slot back. Number five, I had Nolan Cockrell, nose tackle. Number four, I had Jacoby Buchanan, fullback. Number three, I had Christian Anderson, quarterback. Number two, I had Eric Smith, linebacker, senior captain. And number one, I had Andre Carter. That was my uh, top ten. Um, man, I, I, you could probably have done a top 15 or top 20 this year, Dan. I think I, think I might have left out a few players, so. You certainly – it was a team with a lot of contributors and, you know, a guy that you probably wouldn't put on the top ten list who nevertheless was invaluable multiple times this season, including in the bowl game like uh, Jabari Laws. Um, you know, he, he didn't get enough playing time necessarily to, to be a top player on a list, and yet, you know, he completes 79% of his passes winning drive in the bowl game uh, – keeps us in the uh, Wake Forest game, like you can't say enough about the guy. So, yeah, this this was a deep roster that had a lot of contributors for sure. Yeah, I think back to earlier days of, of Army football, uh, you know, or, you know, in the last 10 to 20 years, and each year there was only maybe, I don't know, two, three guys that would really stand out on every team, maybe four or five, but not many. And now we are – trying to figure out who, you know, every name you mentioned, Sal, is somebody I could put on the top 10 list for top 10 players on the team, uh, all very deserving. But it's great that there's 
discussion among who deserves to be there and who should be in the top 10 and who's in the, maybe only the top 20 because they all contribute in different ways. I had a lot of the same players on my top 10 list. I, three guys I want to mention just because yep. they're guys that aren't going to get their name mentioned a lot and they are so, so valuable uh, to the team. Like all the guys you mentioned are the, you know, the guys that are, are, are very flashy players and certainly contribute very important place to our team and, and put up all the, you know, gaudy stats and that's fantastic. But Connor Bishop, Connor mm. Finneycane, Noah Knapp, those mm. are the guys that allow Christian Anderson, that allow Tyrell Robinson, that allow Isaiah Alston to do the things that they do every game. And I think the guys on the team absolutely recognize that and respect those guys for it but they don't get the love that they deserve in yeah. in the media and the press unless you have something crazy happen like what happened with Booby Law against Air Force. So I just want to mention those three guys. But otherwise, I had basically all the, all the guys that you mentioned I had on my, my list as well. You want to run through your top ten? or you, or, or you want to- Yeah, sure. I didn't put this in any particular order. Yeah. It was just the way. So this is not like, hey, these, this is my number one all the way to my number ten. But I had – Connor Bishop, Connor Finney Kane, uh, no nepotism there with the name. <laughs> um, Noah Knapp, Zach Harding, Isaiah Alston, Jacoby Buchanan, Markel Broughton, Cedric Cunningham, Jabari Moore, Christian Anderson. And then I, I put Nolan Cockerell. So I had 11. Um, yeah. Again, going back to what I started with saying, where there's more than 10 guys that you could put on this list. I think if we all sat down, we could come up with four different lists. And yeah. I don't think any one of us would argue with anyone else and say, well, I don't really think that guy's a top 10 guy. Cause I think we're, you know, very lucky that we have a lot of top 10 guys. Yeah. I think of a guy like Cam Jones, right. It seemed like Cam Jones was in a lot, yeah. in a lot of plays this year. And I mean, you look at, I looked at it after the bowl game, right. Shoot, army's going to lose a lot of guys on defense. And I think, okay, no Jabari Moore and Jabari Moore and Cam Jones are back along with Markel Broughton. and that's three out of your four guys in the secondary pretty much. So uh, Rob, uh, maybe your take on, on as far as the talent on that, Army had this year. All right. So what I'll do is I, I like to stick with defense. So I like the fact that you have uh, two linebackers at the top of your list, but uh, I would also, you know, if without sounding like a broken record, I think all the players that you guys have mentioned were very, very important, but you also have to look at Kabina Bonsu, like his play yep. and Nolan Cockrell. If you are, if you have outstanding linebackers, that's because you have an offense, a defensive line that is sucking up a lot of blocks. And so Andre Carter and Eric Smith were able to get loose because Bonsu and Cockrell were eating up a lot of blocks and letting those linebackers scrape to get into those good positions to make those tackles and do what they did all season. So I think we would we would be remiss by not mentioning, you know, the, the defensive line play, because, again, like you can't have great linebackers without great defensive linemen. I have to say with Bonzu, right? He definitely br- br- brought a lot of swag to the defense. If there was a scuffle, he was probably in the middle of it, right? He wasn't backing down from anybody this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely. And I mean, I think that, that attitude goes a long way, um, especially when you're playing against dudes that are a lot of times bigger and, and, and you know, potentially stronger, but certainly bigger, uh, and, and don't believe that they should be on the same field uh, as, as our guys. So uh, I certainly respect and appreciate what Bonsu was able to bring to the defense. And I think also, like, I feel like Mar- Markel Broughton really did that in spades. I, oh, yeah. I thought you talk about attitude and gosh, we're so lucky. He's only a junior, uh, you know, to, and 
he showcased that by being named a captain as a junior. I think that just tells you everything you need to know about that kid. I, I, he he uh, might have been my pick of the uh, defensive MVP, if we're being honest. I mean, I just he was he was just everywhere, and it seemed like every time there was a big play, he was he was in on it, and that's you know it was just huge for the team. Yeah, we can uh, move over to those awards in a second or just recognition. Now, first, if you guys are watching right now and you have any comments, uh, questions, or, or your choices for um, offensive, defensive, MVP, play of the year, and game of the year, um, please uh, send your comments in. Um, I guess offensive MVP, I have um, – I did these polls on Twitter, right, guys? And like I said, I had some edits that I had to make. And as far as um, – for offensive MVP, it was Christian Anderson, 46%. Jacoby Buchanan, 40%. So, I mean, that was pretty well balanced. And I honestly, this is just my opinion. I don't think Jacoby Buchanan was used to his full capabilities this year. There were times where he played, like, minimal snaps a game and, you know, four carries against Navy. We could I'll, – I'll leave that right there. Um, but, man, uh, Christian Anderson was the um, Black Knight Nation pick for uh, offensive MVP. Uh, maybe hear what you guys think. I mean, you know, starting quarterback of a team that wins nine games is obviously going to get a lot of, of MVP votes. That that shouldn't come as a surprise. And especially early in the season, you know, he was playing so well, struggled with some injuries. But I, when Christian Anderson was on, the offense was unstoppable. And even against Air Force, which has a really good, you know, defense and a good rushing defense and just, you know, shut down a very good Louisville team, Christian Anderson was on and was able to keep that team moving and hit enough big plays to win that game. Um, so I don't have an issue with him getting the, 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 uh, the vote there, but yeah, I, I, I definitely at times could have wished that Jacoby Buchanan got a few more carries. On the other hand, this was the first year I didn't feel like the team struggled to get the ball to its playmakers in space for whatever reason. Um, and, and that was worth a lot. So, you know, I don't know. What do I know? Mm. I don't see you again. You can't argue if you want to say Christian Anderson. I certainly am not going to argue with that. Uh, he had a phenomenal year. Uh, you know, I'm just, I, I think when you think MVP, most valuable, you almost have to elect the entire quarterback mm. room, right? Because, yeah. like, it, it, when Christian wasn't in, it's not like we lost the step, right? Like, when I think value, I think who, if we take them out of the game, are we losing something? And when we took Christian out as well as he did and as awesome as he did coming into his own this year, it seemed like we didn't miss a beat with, with, uh, with Tyre or with Jabari, certainly in the last game with Jabari. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nitpicking here. Um, you know, I'm not going to argue with Christian Anderson. Uh, you know, I think you can make the argument for Jacoby because of things that, might have happened had he touched the ball more in some other games. Mm. So, you know, I think where you talk about value, maybe that argument could be made a little bit more for uh, Jacoby. And certainly every time that the kid touches the ball, he doesn't lose yardage. Certainly there's value in that. So, I, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily pick one over the other. Uh, just kind of throwing out some discussion points. Uh, I'd be fine with either of those players, though. Uh, we have a comment uh, real quick. I'll post it, and then we'll get Rob's take on offensive uh, MVP. We have amazing air show videos say the fact that there wasn't one superstar standout player this year is a strength. Everyone contributed first string, second string, et cetera. Good, good point there. Rob, what do you mm -hmm. think about offensive MVP? W what direction would you go in? 
Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's consensus that, uh, you know, a starting quarterback for a winning team always works out. Right. I think that's the easy one. But I think one of the, the more consistent players that didn't get a lot of publicity was Isaiah Alston. Like nine, yeah. nine games with a catch. And when you're not catching for Army football team, you are basically a wide tackle. Right. So you're blocking a lot. And so for a guy to be able to contribute not only in the the, the blocking for the running game, but also in the receiving game and being a reliable target that when he was targeted, he caught the ball is huge. So I think, you know, from an offensive MVP standpoint, you can't rank him higher than the other two. But I still think he has to be part of the conversation because he was consistent play throughout the entire season. You're absolutely right, Rob. You have to put him in that discussion. It seemingly, if his hands touched the ball, he was catching it. Uh, you know, I'm certain that he, he, I don't, I can't think off the top of my head too many drops that he had. Certainly there were pass pickups. He didn't catch everything, but he caught nearly everything. And, and, and as we saw in, in the last game, how valuable, again, here comes that word valuable. It is to have a kid that, you know, if we put it to him, he's going to make a play. I, I think he needs to be in that discussion as well. And, I mean, I was getting so frustrated watching the Air Force game and listening to these announcers get blown away and, and just so surprised by how the, the academies seemingly cannot throw the ball. But he proved that we are – and not just him. We have other, other receiving targets, both um, split out and out of the backfield. But having that as part of the dimension of our offense makes us so much more – dangerous on a week to be basis. Yeah. And a lot of those guys are coming back for army. So, I mean, you know, guys like Tyre Tyler, Jamel Jones, uh, Cade Ballard will have those guys back for next season. Um, defensive MVP on the old black Knight nation Twitter poll was Andre Carter, 51% Eric Smith, 26 Cockrell, 11% Markel Broughton, uh, 10%. I would go with Andre Carter just because of his, um, the season that he had, the record-breaking season he had. I'm, I'm sure you guys might have a, a, maybe a difference in opinion. Let's start with Dan first. Well, Andre Carter, the fact that he is tied for the lead with sacks in the nation at Army, where we almost always have to blitz to get pressure, period, is amazing. Like, that's amazing. Um, so with that in mind, yeah, you know, he, he really had an amazing season and is deserving. Um, I, I think – you know, I don't know. I, I, I probably, like I said, I probably would have taken Marquel Broughton, Broughton um, just because it seems like when a big play had to be made, he was coming up to make it. Um, you know, Army Army gave up a lot of pass yards this year, but I think that that was the defense that they chose to play. You know, they wanted to stop the run and give up short passes until they could uh, bowl up in the red zone, which we saw, you know, quite a bit, especially late in the year, especially in the bowl game. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I what can you do? I mean, he's our first All-American, and I don't know how long. I, I saw the stat at one point in the last week or two, whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how you can be the first All-American in, in, in forever at Army and not be considered the defensive MVP, but you take Andre out. So I'll, I would say it's Andre because uh, also you have to consider, too, the beginning of the season, he was getting – sacks and droves and then once teams started to get some film on him he was still getting sacks but they weren't coming as frequent you know certainly because i think teams were 
game planning against him specifically. And I think that speaks a lot to value when an offense has to specifically tailor something to one player on the defense. So I, I think that speaks to his MVP uh, deservedness. Uh, I think you take Andre out, though, and I think there's maybe five guys that you could throw in this discussion and make a valid argument for five of the remaining guys on defense. But I, I think it has to be Andre considering the season that he had. What are your thoughts, Rob, on defensive MVP? All right. So as I jump in, of course, Andre Carter, it, you know, is pretty much everybody's consensus, dude. But like when you look on the, the overall roster for the team, like Khan said, there's five other guys that have more tackles than him, solos in the game. There's a couple guys with a, a few more interceptions. And the name that top, pops at the top of the list for overall defensive performance is Marquel Barton. Just like Dan said, I mean, overall, he's probably the most all around player. You know, mm. just being in the position, making the plays, creating turnovers, that kind of thing. But when you talk about like just hardworking players, you got to go with Eric Smith. I mean, like, yeah. how, could you, how could you not have an outstanding middle linebacker? He looks like a middle linebacker. He mm. plays like a little linebacker. And if you ever hear the guy talk, it's like, man, I want to follow that dude. And I'm 40 years old. I'll jump in whatever unit that that guy's that guy's going to be leading, right? Because right. He just has that quality about him that makes people want to respond. And I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, the response defensively by the players came from him, you know, kind of shaking the cage and getting everybody focused when the team was down. So I think there's a, there's some intangibles that come with him being a senior captain, but also, you know, you look great when you have another dude, when you have two linebackers that have almost a hundred tackles a piece, you know, it, it's, it's pretty, it, it's pretty impressive, you know, whether those be, you know, solos or assists, those guys are bringing it and it makes it a lot easier for us to have this conversation because the defense played well this year. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, let me just put in one plug for Andre Carter. Not only did he have 15 and a half sacks, he also had four, four, four forced fumbles, yeah. one fumble recovery. So that's actually amazing. It's that, been a while since that's, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a good number. No doubt. And maybe, yeah, uh, the way he was able to rush the passer, maybe at the earlier in the season could have had a couple more of those forced fumbles, but a great season for, for Andre. And, you know, this is interesting guys. So the, what was the best win of the season is the next uh, black Knight mm. nation Twitter poll. And let me, uh, the first poll that I put out, I put out two separate ones. The first poll I put out had Missouri, the, uh, the armed forces poll went at 47% had air force at 46%. So only 1% difference there. And the next poll I put out was Air Force 54% and the bowl win 43%. Um, I got back and forth on this one, right? I think that it's the Air Force win personally. That's my opinion. Um, Air Force finished the season with 10 wins. Air Force is going to be a top 25 team. And, man, that was one of the better Air Force teams that they've had. I know they had a, a double-digit win season recently, but I thought that Air Force team was pretty solid. So I'm going to go with that as the best win of the season for the Black Knights. Uh, Dan, what do you think? I definitely I, – I, first off, I was at that game, and uh, it was an amazing atmosphere. I would never miss that game ever again as long as they have it at that neutral site in Texas. It was just – it was a total riot, and uh, it was so much fun. I can't – I just can't even – like, that was that was the best game of the season to be at, personally. Hmm. Um, and, it, you know, just the ending and everything with it, plus it's a service academy rivalry game. Like, that, that to me was – 
the encapsulation of this season. Like I thought, I thought it was awesome. And then I thought army was dead in the water and then they came back and won it out overtime. Like that was, that was 2021 in one game was the air force game and the bowl game. Don't get me wrong. It's great. It's awesome that they beat an sec team. And I think it sets them up very well to head into 2022 with a lot of momentum. And I would hope that some of those recruits who were looking at a boat school will suddenly realize that, you know, one game doesn't exactly make a season that, that army does in fact have something that, that they should reconsider before they leave and go get on a boat for the rest of their lives. However, you know, if, if, if that's what they care about, I guess that's all you can do. But yeah, um, both those wins were great, but I'll take Air Force. Yeah, I, I'll have to pile on with Dan and say the Air Force game because you, you look at the most consistent over the over the period of watching it, and and it was exciting. I was not at the game, unfortunately, so I'm kicking myself <laughs> because of those outstanding uh, behind the offensive line views that CBS was giving us. But uh, oh. <laughs> but uh, regardless. Regardless of that fact, I think, uh, honestly, that was the most complete game because, again, there was adversity, there was triumph, and then anytime a big man can fall on a on a football, whether that be offensively or defensively, and it scores, I think people can appreciate that. It's not the ideal way to win a service academy game. However, if it's going to be close and you got to win it in overtime, hey, let the big man bring us home. I think it was the ideal way to win a service academy game. Was hung over as hell the first half. Second half cleared up a little bit. I'm just telling you, it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, just obviously when the words are plastered all over every building that you walk, beat Air Force and beat Navy, those certain certainly those two games are of utmost importance. And the Air Force game means that we get to keep the trophy up at West Point and get another chance next year to, to beat both schools so we can uh, not have to share it next year. So, I, I, But I think it's very important when that piece of hardware can remain on the banks of the Hudson. That said, I'll argue the other side and say the team's ability to rebound off of a extremely emotional loss against that, the boat school – when, excuse me, when we came into that game, and I think the vast majority of folks thought we would win pretty handedly, mm. and then to lose in such frustrating fashion and for them to give us fits, to come back a handful of days later, well, I mean, it was a 20, you know, 10 days and, and change later, uh, maybe eight days later, whatever it was. And I know Missouri was only six and six, but they are still an SEC team. They showcase that SEC ability level and talent. And then when you consider the kind of storybook ending, when we have our, our third string quarterback in there and when, again, all of these people all over the country think like, uh Oh, well, army can't do this. They're just a running team. And we promptly move down the field in 70 seconds and get ourselves in field goal range and then our kicker, who had missed earlier in the game, drills the game-winning field goal as time expired. And that hasn't happened in a long time either. And for what Rob said as well, I think that propels us well into next season, gives our kids the confidence to say, like, hey, we can play with anybody. Doesn't matter who, doesn't matter where. And the ability to bounce back after emotional loss. So I would argue that it's the Missouri game. And you can't forget, like, there were some other uh, 
really great games this season. Uh, the Wake Forest game didn't go Army's way, but man, that was a crazy mm. game. I've never seen mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah. That team is is good, too. I mean, you know, at that time in the season, they were playing their best ball. People were talking about them potentially getting into the college football playoff. Like, yeah, I wouldn't take anything away from Wake Forest and saying, you know, oh, well, they're only a 10-win ACC team. Like, okay, good. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many teams in the country right now have double-digit wins? I don't – I'm not – I'm sorry. I don't mean to put anybody on the spot, but I don't imagine that it's too many. Like, it's, you know – Probably yeah. less than it's thirty, maybe less. Yeah, and and, and I, the other thing that I would pile on is is Wake Forest. The wheels came off the wagon after they played Army, right? Because they started losing because they got beat up pretty bad. So you, you know, I'm not going to say that you know they they made it through unscathed, but I think they dropped like what three in a row after playing Army. So again, that game took a lot out of them. Maybe even if it wasn't physically, it was emotionally because it kind of threw them off because they didn't expect to come into Mikey stadium and have a dogfight on their hands. And they had to play mm-hmm. the entire game to win that game. It wasn't like, you know, the kids were going to lay down for them because, Oh, it's wake forest and they're supposedly the better school. So we should just, you know, give up the ghost and let them win it. Like they played hard. I mean, 56 points, like that's the best offensive output against a power five team in a very long time. And then, you know, to do it with a, you know, with an offense that was as potent as Wake Forest was at the time, I mean, you got to expect them to, to score points because that offense was was massive. But, again, I, I think that was a great performance, even though it was a loss. I mean, look at the, how the team came together and performed. Yeah, and the season opener against Georgia State, who turned out to be a really solid team toward the end of the season, and beat in Western Kentucky at home. That was another another uh, fun game to be at, another fun game to watch. I mean, that offense is – man, quarterback has 61 touchdown passes this year. Enough said. <laughs> yeah. And, and Army, I, think he's, I think he's the best dropback passer in college football this year. Uh, if, if I was looking to take a quarterback, I'd be looking hard at uh, Bailey Zappi. I've said that a bunch of times on our show. Um, I don't know if that I would take him in the first round, but it would not surprise me if he has the best pro career. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, it's like third, third round, fourth round, uh, written yeah. all over him, in yeah. my opinion. But I, I think somebody's going to get a kind of hidden gem with him. Yeah, no doubt. And the Army, Army had that win at Liberty too. That was a solid win for them to go to Liberty and face uh, really frustrate Malik Willis, who a lot of people have as a first round uh, draft pick quarterback. So that was. A, there's been a lot, a lot of solid memories. Now maybe the Black Knight Nation uh, Twitter poll for uh, Play of the Year. Um, the winner was Jacoby Buchanan's touchdown run in the Armed Forces Bowl, 36%. Cole Talley's field goal in the Armed Forces Bowl to win, 32%. Um, Jabari Moore's knockdown pass in Air, uh, for the Air Force win, 21%. And Andre Carter's tip uh, interception against Air Force, 11%. That was my personal favorite, Andre Carter's tip uh, against Air Force, just because of the individual effort that it took it for him to make that play to almost get faked out and have to drop back and get his hands on a trick, a little bit of a gadget play and uh, tip it right to Cam Jones for an interception. Now, we were talking about Booby Law's touchdown recovery that probably should have been in the poll. Completely my bad. Um, Dan, your thoughts on play of the year? Well, I voted for the knockdown, the the fourth, the overtime knockdown against Air Force, just because I thought it it sealed the win in in dramatic fashion. Um, you know, fourth and six, 
it's not like they were off target. You know, we know Air Force can pass. So I, I thought that was that was the best play. But if you had put it on there, I probably would have put the uh, the Booby Law touchdown just because that was that was crazy. And uh, you know, Law himself is an outstanding player, and I'm quite looking forward to seeing what he does as we go forward here. Yeah, Sal, I was with you though. Uh, when you take everything into consideration, the just athletic ability of Andre Carter to change direction sprint and you can't teach being six, seven for him to get a hand on that ball and not just get a hand on it. But then I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to give him too much credit unless he just, he knew he was there. I don't know if he tipped it on purpose um, for was that Cam Jones that Cam made Jones, that interception. Yeah. 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 I don't know if he knew Cam Jones was there. Uh, if he did, that's even more amazing, but for the tip to be turned into an interception, flip the field, and really take a lot of momentum away from Air Force, um, and you know when I what I thought would seemingly put the game away, we didn't at that point clearly, but I thought that was a a game changing uh, play and just the overall ability of Andre to make it for me that was the best play of the year. All right. Well, but don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Sorry. Watching Jacoby, I've watched that highlight now over 500 times. <laughs> Watching him just take that other player's soul. And when he put him on the ground, that guy was just like, he just put his hands up and made it look like he was trying. He didn't want any part of Jacoby when he ran him over. And I, I don't um, ever, please don't mistake that as me um, speaking ill of another player because all these players come out there and, and try their best. But Jacoby really just imposed his will on, on that other young man. And that was just unbelievable to see. So I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ralph. No, what I was going to say is like, look, I'm usually the guy that harps on the defense, right? I love the tip Oski call who doesn't, right? That's always great. However, watching Jacoby Buchanan rumble through the offensive line and truck stick a dude into the end zone and score a touchdown. That was probably one of the most impressive offensive runs that we had all season and it mm-hmm. sucks that it came into a bowl game because that's kind of like a glimpse into the window of what could potentially happen next season or could have been happening all season if we would have used Jacoby more. You know, and and as always, you know, when we listen to this, the broadcast on the home games, you know, Ross Tucker is always screaming fire the Buchanans. And like if we would have got that in the bowl game, that would have been even better. But the play itself was tremendous. You know, like you dream about that. If you're if you're an offensive player. You want to play just like that. You can't script it any better. Hey, I shake a couple dudes at the line. I'm open. There's one guy between me and the end zone, and I run him over and score. That's like stuff that dreams are made of, like for real. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate that play probably just as much as the, as the tipped pick, but I still have to lean towards uh, Jacoby Buchanan's uh, truck stick in the end zone. Yeah, yeah because fact- also – the guy he ran over wasn't small. No, no. He was he was a he was a, he was a, a a big dude. SEC and, safety uh, or linebacker? I mean, you know. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a linebacker or safety, but he was a big dude, and he had no chance. At no point did he have his arms around Jacoby. It, it, he, oh man, I don't know else how else to describe it other than it was just Jacoby imposing his will. And there was a defensive lineman for uh, Missouri that tried to hustle down and try to get a hold of him too. And he just 
bulldozed it way into the end zone. That guy was like 300 pounds. It didn't even matter. He almost like flicked right off of Jacoby. It was like a, a fly almost uh, for him. Uh, what an effort. Uh, there were some really other, some really other good plays that I was reminded of this season. Um, I probably missed a, a bunch in that poll. Um, one was the, uh, we got to mention Tyrell Robinson on this, sh- on this podcast, right? Tyrell had some electric yeah. plays this year. I mean, the one against Western Kentucky, when he leaped into the end zone, uh, um, that was that was just a, a very uh, impressive play by him. I mean, man, and he he had some big passing plays with, with Christian Anderson too. So I want to give uh, Tyrell Robinson some love on this on this podcast too. Well, the, I mean, the wheel route he caught against Air Force. Was I was just going to mention that one. Yep. Yeah. I wish they would have used that play a little more yeah. because yeah. they they put it in for the Air Force game, and then I think we saw it once the next week, and then you know they didn't run it a single time against Navy, which I thought was yeah. frustrating because they have the players to to really make that thing just difficult to defend, regardless of whether you know it's coming or not. Mm-hmm. I was talking about this uh, earlier today, or maybe yesterday, about the whole Navy thing, and I think that uh, Army's uh, offensive game plan gave Navy too much credit. I think I think they played a little bit down to Navy. I think they should have take, taken a couple more chances like that that real route and then get obviously we know Jacoby back uh, get I don't, Jacoby more carries. I don't know how much you want to get into this. I I just looking at the way the stats kind of shook out. I thought they thought that they had a speed advantage with Tyrell Robinson and they kept trying to break him loose inside, you know, on that that counter yeah. trap inside and they just they, it just didn't happen. Um, but it looked like that's what they, where they thought their the mismatch was. Mm-hmm. When when Tyrell gets as many carries inside that as Jacoby Buchanan gets, I don't yeah. know. That's you know that didn't make well, much right. sense. I think I've been probably blocked because of my comments. I'm not sure, but you know, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it's just that's just what what do you do there? You have 260 pounds of fullback. Let's get them going. You know. Let's well, get- yeah, we said this on our show. Like my favorite thing about the bowl game was that they just saw what was working and kept doing it instead of having a game plan and sticking with it. Because if you remember early in the, uh, in the bowl game, they were trying to get the ball outside to the guys and it just the sec speed, they just couldn't get outside, which is, which is fine. You know, if you're, if power inside, if that's your advantage, then work it. And uh, so I'm glad that we saw that. Let me just put it to you that way. That, that was what made me feel like, okay, you know, this team it's, they had a setback. They didn't have like a strategic, issue right right and uh, you know our, our coaches on both sides of the ball i think you know they want to win so badly of course they and, do and I yeah think, yeah and i think that they're um you know they'll, they'll probably <laughs> replay that navy game in their heads you know for a very long time to come very frustrating um so it's one of those ones that you just you wish you could have it back because I think if you put those two teams out on the field together and play ten games, I think we take eight or nine of them. And it just happened yeah. that the one that they took was the one that was actually played. Unfortunately, this year, um, I guess the, the one part of me says like, "Oh, it's good for a rivalry, uh, you know, to not be one-sided." As much as I would love for it to just be one-sided for us, just because of what we had to endure for most of the two thousands. Um, Sorry, I know we're not getting too much into the Navy game, but yeah, uh, definitely, definitely. Oh, the toughest thing about it, I just the toughest thing about it was just you know, as a as a fan, as a supporter, just it, it. All the Navy fans felt like the sun had gone back into its into alignment. Like, oh, of course yeah. we won. Like, we won because we're Navy. Like, 
No. Ah, yeah. That, that, like that was like, the worst. That that's mm-hmm. that's like the that's you know they're calling fans for a reason because they short yeah. fanatic, right? And it's like, look, dude, like your three friends got up and left with you this season, pride, dignity, and respect, walked out the door. The only thing that you had was winning the Army game, really. I mean, their season was shambles. They didn't perform. They'll be lucky to have anybody recognized in the postseason for anything, you know, and you've got one, you know, jerkalope tweeting stuff out there, and I don't even say his name just because I hate him so much. And I don't <laughs> say that because uh, hate's a strong word. But the bottom line is it's like, look, dude, like impress me with your play and don't be a dirty player. And then, Oh, by the way, and I said this before on our other show too, is it's just like, Hey man, look, we talk all this stuff about like at the end of the game, these guys are brothers. Like at no point would I sat down with any Navy fan and drank a beer with them because they're acting like a-holes after the game was over. Right. So, so much for the teamwork in the veteran community or after the game is over being, you know, teammates after everything is all said and done. Which, to be fair, was a pretty stark contrast from the Air Force game. You know, we had a we had a big tailgate. Class of '95 had a big tailgate at Air Force. We had a bunch of Air Force fans there. It was like we talked a lot. And if you can get over the yeah, I'm a fighter pilot, like they were they were fine. Like they were good. They certainly weren't, you know, unwilling to to speak with us, talk down. So, with us. I here's a quick observation that just came to me, Dan, based on what you just said. Is I think. I'm completely speculating here is, and and I'm basing off what I hear from both fan bases. I think what the air force fan base is realizing, if you look at the last five years and how the the commander in chiefs games have played out, air force is realizing, okay, army has come to the table now and wants to, and is going to be a fixture in these games. And it's not going to be what it was in the previous 15 years, 20 years, whatever. Whereas Navy is still fixated on the 14-year streak and seemingly has not paid attention to the way not just the games but recruiting seasons have gone between Army and Navy in the last five years. So, you know, that one player who was very boisterous about how things have shook out in this rivalry, you know, he was – Two and two. It wasn't as though he just capped his his undefeated reign over Army. So it, it occurs to me that Navy is still seemingly stuck in the past, where everybody else is is moving toward the future, and uh, the future is very bright for Army. I I don't see any reason, and knock on wood, for us to regress. Certainly not anytime soon. So um, it, it's nice to hear that Air Force is. Uh, kind of accepted that, um, but these Navy fans are still, uh, by and large, in a delusional world. Yeah, um, I don't know. I've always said before that the, the player in question that we're talking about, he might not have been able to start for Army until this year at linebacker. That's just my opinion. I mean, I think that the linebacker talent that Army's had inside, he might have had to been pushed outside if he wanted to play. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, yeah, while, while we're while we're just going, is maybe we could wrap this up about talking about like kind of the future. We have it a little bit during this podcast, and um, it was pretty exciting. I mean, the schedule, the the twenty twenty two schedule may not might not be the most attractive schedule, but you do have a game to open up the season that interests me with Coastal Carolina. That will be a pretty good challenge to go down there and face a team that's been regularly in the top twenty five the last two years, and I think that that's that's something to look forward to. And um, 
you know, it would be interesting to see what, what direction Army goes with the quarterback position now that Christian Anderson and Jabari Laws are graduated, Tyler Tyler's back, and uh, see if uh, – I know a lot of people want Cade Ballard on the field this year. Uh, we'll see if he gets his chance in the spring. And um, well, just maybe some thoughts for you guys of the, what the future holds for Army. You would think that if they continue doing a quarterback rotation, which there's no reason why they shouldn't, considering how successful they've been with it, that it would be Cade Ballard and Tyre Tyler. And granted, a lot of stuff can happen in the offseason. I got the sense coming out of the offseason this past year, though, that the plan was for Tyre Tyler to really start. And then, you know, he had trouble staying healthy. And, and you know, then Christian Anderson was playing so well that he kind of kept the ball and ran with it. So, you know, who knows? I, I – I think it's a room. I think it's a position group. And I think that the guy who's playing well at that moment is going to get the opportunities. Yeah, uh, certainly a, a lot of talent coming back. Uh, I would agree with what you just said, Dan, about the quarterback position. I think maybe Jamel Jones might factor into that mm -hmm. rotation as well. You know, see how preseason plays out. I'm extremely excited about the fullback position with Jacoby, uh, Tyson Riley, and uh, Anthony Atkins, I mean, that's that's a three-headed monster that is dangerous for defenses to plan for because seemingly it doesn't matter what you plan, they're going to run over you no matter what. I will say, looking at our schedule, I think that is a very difficult first five weeks. I mean, you have, one, you have two top 25 teams in Coastal and, and UTSA. You know, yeah. I don't know where they're going to finish this year, but – both teams were, <clears throat> excuse me, certainly postal fixtures in the top 25 for the majority of this season. And I haven't done any research into terms of what they have coming back. You got Villanova, who's no slouch, who was uh, deep into the one to play playoffs this year. You have a Georgia State team that presumably will bring back a lot of athletes. And then, of course, you got Wake Forest. So hmm. that, that first five weeks is, is certainly no cakewalk. So, I mean, although – you know, we replaced the, the, the quote-unquote flashy game with Villanova. Um, I, I would not be surprised if that Villanova is a sellout at Mikey due to Villanova's proximity and the amount of Villanova grads in the area. I think they'll travel very well. Um, so I, I think it bodes well for us that three of those five are at home. Certainly, I think we have an advantage playing at home. But I, I think those, those first five weeks will be a true test to see what we're made of. Uh, and I'm happy that we have a lot of leadership coming back on the defensive side of the ball as well, and certainly on the offensive line. So that's where I'm at with 2022. You've definitely got a lot of, uh, not not so many Power 5 teams, but a lot of sort of leaders in the group of five, Coastal Carolina, UTSA, Georgia State, uh, Air Force, Troy. I mean, these are these. this is the top of the group of five. So, yeah. Yeah. I think next season will be challenging. I'm looking forward to it, one, because like there's some games within striking distance in that first five, so I could probably potentially go see uh, Army play against two ranked opponents in uh, 2022. Then uh, there'll be the long drive up to uh, West Point for the ULM game, because I believe that's the game that's happening on uh, my class reunion weekend for 25. So I'm looking forward to that. And, I mean – they got to keep the keep the momentum going with uh, your group ninety seven and take it to those damn boat school people in uh, December and uh, win one for the class of ninety seven since we are the only team or the only class in recent memory that has not lost a game to Navy 
since we graduated. So we we're four, four and oh, and, uh, we're going to hang our hat on that until somebody else does something <laughs> about it. But, uh, it's always a, that's always a great thing to kind of see. And then looking forward to just all the college football. I mean, really my question for, for 2022 though, is which defensive player is going to step up? Cause we know that we're always got, we got some tons of great talents in the secondary, but who's going to be the next uh, linebacker to showcase his talents in the center of the army defense. Yeah. And that's going to be so necessary because teams will be ready for Andre next year. He'll mm-hmm. still make plays because he's a talented kid. Uh, Markel will still make plays because he's a talented kid, but you're absolutely right, Rob. We're going to need who's ever that next guy up at that linebacker position uh, will be uh, so important for us. Uh, and it just seems like, you know, we're in a position now as a program where I am wondering who's going to step up, but I am confident that somebody will step up. Mm. So I, I think we're in a, a great place as a program and, nobody here is, is happy with the loss to, to Navy. We would have liked to win the commander in chiefs outright. Uh, but you know, nine wins this year, nine wins last year, obviously 2019 anomaly with only five, but then 11, 10 and eight before that, uh, I saw five or excuse me, seven wins in my four years. And if we tack on my, my grad assistant year, I got up to a whopping 10 wins. So we're in such a great place as a program that here we are with the nine win season. And for all accounts, like we're all pretty kind of disappointed in that with those four games yeah. that there's definitely, yeah. I'd say at least two where maybe even three in that four, like you, you could make an argument that, that other than wake Forest, So I think just flat out beat us. I think those other four losses, three losses, we could have went won those games. So that's where we're at now, in, in my opinion, where we're we're upset with not upset, but yeah. we look at nine wins and we're kind of like, ah, could have been a few more. Whereas yeah. if you had told me when I was a player that we would have had nine wins, I would have just been jumping for joy. Yeah, I was I was gonna I was asked that question, you know, what is was it what do you think about the season uh for a TV spot? And I was like, uh, it's a little bit of disappointment when you don't beat Navy, right? The number one. That's that's the number one. But then you look at it, the season as a whole, and you know nine wins is certainly nothing to sneeze at. And uh, like we said, with the talent coming back, we'll see what they can do in 2022. A couple guys to maybe keep your eyes on are Spencer Jones, right? Spencer Jones got a little uh, suffered an injury uh, during the season. He may be a guy who steps up at linebacker, and a guy Brett Jarena, uh, Joe Jarena's son. He's a freshman, going to be a sophomore. He might be a guy who also can fill those shoes on the inside. Um, just a couple more notes, guys, before we go. Um, you know, when you have success, you know, unfortunately, that means for some staff departures. And this week, uh, Shield Wood, uh, the, the safeties coach, uh, was hired by Troy to be the defensive coordinator. Uh, Army and Troy, November 12th at Troy. That'll be interesting, right? Um and then today, Saga uh, Tulteli, the offensive line coach, leaves for Fresno State to be their O-line coach and their uh, run game coordinator. So there'll be some uh, new coaches coming in. And I think that as we've seen in the past, right, I mean, the culture in the at West Point right now that Munkin has, I mean, it doesn't matter as long as the coaches um, have some kind of background, which they usually do. Um with the defense and the offense, I mean, it seems to be pretty clear sailing. They've been adding a couple guys each year and there hasn't really been a drop off in, you know, the, um, as far as fundamentals and uh, the performance by the team. So. 
I mean, you if you go if you want to get the best young talent on your coaching staff, then you have to show that you can get those guys to the next step in their career. Everybody on this podcast is a professional who understands that, and everybody listening does too. So, you know, congratulations to them, and we wish them the best. Nothing else to say, really. I mean, it's awesome to be honest with you. Yeah, it's it's great for them. It's great for them, and it's also nice that you know people respect our program enough to know if they hire one of our guys away, they're getting a quality guy. Yeah, I, I think that's the best point out of all of it is like, hey, look, yeah, nobody likes the coaching carousel, but when one of your assistants coaches moves on to something bigger and better, that's just that just builds your program, right? That just proves that there is a quality organization that's out there that's creating talent, whether that be on the player side or the coaching side, and that when a bunch of coaches leave, yeah, it's kind of bummed until you see what the next guy does in the next season – but at the end of the day, you know, that consistency, the head coach is still the same. And so with Coach Monk in there, I think that's really going to be the determining factor of how those guys gel with him and then how they gel with the team. And, and anybody that's watched college football knows that this season, making that drastic change to a youth movement has a difference. Look at Jim mm -hmm. Harbaugh, right? He swapped out almost a half of it or almost his entire coaching staff except for him took a pay cut to bring in some younger dudes and they're sitting in the college football playoff. So there is something to have those younger coaches that can connect with the players because there's a, there's a little bit different from a 50 a year old guy talking to an 18 year old kid versus a 30 year old guy talking to an 18 year old kid. And that's just the, the, the facts of the case. And so by bringing in some of that newer, younger talent, it's actually helpful for the team. Yeah, it kind of bums the players. And the best part about Army is you don't have to worry about players transferring because a coach left. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I, Rob, that's, that's upside good, too. That that's such a good point too about talking about the the younger coaches, just because obviously we know our guys have so much to deal with already, and they don't want to go to practice. And I think our guys more than likely, if not definitively will always respect the coach regardless of how old the, the guy is. Uh, but when you can seemingly have a, a, a normal conversation, like, you know, my position coach at one point was in his like late 60s, 70s. Like, what am I going to talk to that man about? Mm -hmm. Like, certainly I, I was able to take a lot of wisdom and a lot of coaching uh, from, from him and, and, and certainly learned a lot from him. But in terms of just having like a relationship I think it's just easier when that, that age gap is, is much smaller and uh, it just fosters that culture on, on the team that everyone is together as opposed to coaches and players separately. We, we have a question from uh, James Crimmins, uh, fact or fiction, Nate Woody returns as DC next year. Oh man, that's a $35,000 question, isn't it? That was our standing fact and fiction all during the off season. Uh, let's just see. I mean, he was truly outstanding uh, in 2020, and I thought he had a good season this year. Um, you know, if if a Power 5 team did hire him, they would be getting an excellent hire. Uh, but I would like to see him stay selfishly. But we'll see. Yeah, I don't want him to go anywhere. But, again, these these are problems that you just have to deal with when yeah. you win a lot of games, and that's just something we're only now getting used to these last few years. I think, I think if we had beaten Navy – I think we might have seen a few more departures, but I, I will say that maybe one silver lining from losing to Navy is I think we're going to keep some of these bigger named coaches uh, just at least maybe one more year. Uh, so I'll take that, some solace in that. But, yeah, uh, I, I'm just – I guess I'm trying not to get too attached to anybody. 
on anyone on the staff at this point because I, I think at any point in in the next few years, any of them could could be gone. But hopefully, you've built enough of a culture that whoever comes in next just keeps it moving. I was talking about this earlier today about um, guys who you know are not going to go anywhere on the staff. You know, Tucker Waugh, you know, hmm. a, a John Luce. Um, those kind of guys, I think, are guys that that, that will stay. And there's going to be, you know, like you said, we'll just have to – two in two days, we'll see what happens. Uh, Rob, your take? Did you have a, a take on it? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say selfishly uh, fact, but uh, deep down inside, like I just don't need an ulcer in the offseason. I mean, there's enough, there, there's enough stress with uh, all the moves at Kansas and all that uh, stuff. And and that about made me have like 10 more gray hairs. So hopefully uh, we have some consistency in the coaching office after kind of all the turmoil after the bowl games. But uh, definitely looking forward to next season. And I think uh, so long as, you know, the whoever is coaching uh, comes in aggressively, particularly on defense, I think that's uh, the way to go regardless of who's coaching the defense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think famous last words. I, I think we're okay at the top three positions, coach Munkin Davis and Woody. I'm very hopeful that those guys aren't going anywhere. Um, but also, gosh, I, I'm just thinking, you know, eventually they probably all will leave. Um, and I think, where we've gotten into trouble in the past, specifically with Ellerson and, and Barry, is when two things happen. Either A, you get somebody who tries to do something that we just physically cannot recruit the kids to do, like my teams did with Coach Barry and the offense we tried to run. We just couldn't mm. compete. Or B, you get somebody like Ellerson who, for whatever reason, had this in his idea in his head that it was his job to – make platoon leaders and not coach football. And he, he even said as much, he's like, it's my job to prepare these guys from the army. No, sir. It is not nowhere in your contract. Do I think it says you are responsible for that? They have plenty of instructors and, and other leadership at the, the military Academy to teach them about the military. You worry about football, sir. So as long as whenever coach Munkin leaves and who knows, maybe he'll die there and he'll stay there for the next 40 years. Um, but if and when he leaves, as long as we get somebody who doesn't do one of those two things, I think we'll be okay. That's that's like a whole nother show, man. Talking about uh, the the how athletics interplays with being an officer. I, I know that we both have very strong feelings about it, so I'll, I'll just let it die there. Mm-hmm. We'll get to this question. Do you think that the multiple uh, quarterback rotation approach is here to stay, or was it just a function of our personnel this season? Now we talked about this earlier that we thought. Maybe they bring it. They keep continue it in twenty twenty two, right, Dan? I believe that they will. I think it's working. I know that people say that. I, I know that there are people who don't like it, uh, and I think that we have a tendency to lean into tendencies too much when certain people are on the field. Um, however, I've seen enough to believe that it works. That there's something there that when you bring a different guy off the bench with a different skill set, that it makes the defense, it makes it harder for them to sort of adjust. However, just bringing a guy in to run quarterback zone every single time is probably not the answer. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think Coach Worley's just created a culture in that room, though, where it, yeah. that, that's why it works. It's because of the culture in the room, not because of the, the kids' capabilities physically. It's because of that culture and because you saw it in the press conference 
with the three quarterbacks after the Missouri game and how they were all seemingly very excited for one another. Uh, I think that's why it works. Not, it has nothing to do with the physical ability. I think it has everything to do with the relationship within the players and that coach in that room. Yeah. I think it's all about mutual support. They're learning, they're learning the Lieutenant protection agency much, much earlier. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's all it is. Like if we're all on the same page, like the boss can only, yeah. yell at, you know, the boss can only yell at us so much, but if we're all on the same page, regardless of who's, you know, leading the range, I think we'll be okay. And I think that's a, it's a good way to look at it. I think it shows a lot of maturity from the players, particularly a lot earlier than you normally would expect. So when you have, you know, sophomores and juniors that are, you know, in the critical position that always has the eyes on them and they're willing to kind of take a step back because, you know, their their other partner is playing better than they are at the moment or they picked up something better, you know, in the scheme, then that's actually good for the team and it shows maturity. And what that does is that trick, it goes everywhere because if it starts with the quarterback, the rest of the team is that way. And so I think right. that's one of those intangibles, again, that you can't account for because the quarterback is like, yeah, man, I'm not I'm not feeling the scheme this week. Hey, put laws in and everybody's cool with it. And then the team rallies behind that player because he's getting the start. That's only better for your team. And then you get that mutual support that's kind of organic. And it's one of those things that like, yeah, I think everybody wants to settle and have a starter and know who the starter is from week to week. But from playing you, you know from playing the games having that change up it completely messes dudes up it really does yeah martin says thanks for the great answer very interesting selfless culture really could for an interesting advantage in this way but dan is right tendencies yeah um, I, we really appreciate you guys popping in your questions and your comments tonight it's been great just to have this round table uh wrap up show i mean i think we pr- pretty much hit on a lot of the 2021 season Guys, is there anything that we you think we missed that you'd like to add before we go? Yes, yes. When you talk about tendencies, look at Tyre Tyler. How many huge pass plays happened when he was playing quarterback? Bucking that tendency that, oh, well, Tyre's and he's just running quarterback zone. Not not so fast, my friend. Uh, you know, <laughs> so I, I think I, I think uh, you know it, we are able to to recognize that and maybe buck those. Uh, those trends uh, it, it's important also to that rotation working. James, oh, man. James <laughs> wants to keep us here. So uh, the biggest question is who would call plays if Munkin or Davis leave? I think a culture guy VD as a great head coach, but if you run the triple option, you need a good play caller. Who is the next great triple option mind? That's like a, that's like a question for the off season. I, uh, yeah. I, I certainly don't know off the top of my head. And, and and knowing that James will get the chance to answer that question, I will be perfectly willing to let him research and get back to us. Yeah, and I'm I, admittedly I'm I'm very close with Mike VD. He was my teammate. He's a, he's a dear friend of mine, so I'm a little biased. Uh, I think Mike VD could you know do anything he puts his mind to. Um, so he's he's a great choice for anything you want to put him in, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, that's one of those ones where it's very difficult for me. Uh, to think with my head as opposed to uh, mm. thinking with my heart and, and separating the two and just looking at it from a football perspective. Uh, so I, I will refrain from answering that one, but just know that I love Mike Vitti. I think he's a great football guy and great football mind. He's got a bright future. I think uh, why not keep, um, you know, if that's the case, hopefully he can keep Cody Worley on staff too. 
I mean, because like you said, that what he's done to the quarterback's room, he did get a chance to call the bowl game last year, right, against West Virginia when Brent Davis couldn't make it. So, um, you know, maybe we talked about the youth keeping um, the younger coaches on staff, and maybe that could be a direction that Army can go in. We don't know. Um, we only have one game of experience of him calling games, but, you know, he, he's done a great job with the quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, I'm just – I'm still very high on, on Coach Davis. I, I think he does a phenomenal job. Um you know, I think most games this year, I, I think anybody watching would say he called a good game um, yeah. with with few exceptions there. So uh, right now well, we're, we're, he, we're we're speculating. So, yeah, he gets he gets such a it's so tough. You know, he's yeah. he's just in the firing line. Right. Yeah. Things don't go well. And everybody just screams at Davis because, you know, the triple option you should have used. Obviously, you should have done the other thing that you didn't do. Yeah. And and I and I I totally feel for the guy. I really do. And uh, yeah, no, it doesn't look easy. If you think that we think that it's easy, that's definitely not. No, it does not look easy in any way. All right, I'm going to say this just to be spiteful. Ivan Jasper, <laughs> put it, put him on. Oh, the, yeah, put, it, yeah, oh. put him on. Put him on the sidelines after he gets canned from Navy because they can't figure out what the hell they want to do with him anyway. You know, let him be like a running backs coach or a wide receivers coach or whatever, and then start prepping him for the position maybe. And then, you know, then it's twofold. You're sticking the knife in the eye of Navy, and we're getting a halfway decent coach that understands the triple option. Rob, I had this conversation with somebody today right before the podcast about bringing Ivan Jasper on staff. And if Navy didn't rehire him, you don't think Jeff Munkin was on the phone with him to try to get him to West Point? If not this year, maybe next year. I know they're good friends. I know that guy's had a lot of experience with the triple option. That's a that's a great call, Rob. Uh, absolutely great call there. Let me just ask the hypothetical though. Certainly, I think coaching college football is 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 very difficult. Excuse me, it's very difficult. And I think uh, you know, I have some friends in the profession. Guys are very happy and, and lucky to have a job wherever that may be. At what point though, and it might not exist. But is there a point where you've coached at one of the academies so long that you are then ingrained in that culture that you couldn't possibly go to one of the other ones? Like how long? I don't. I forget off the top of my head how long Munkin was at Navy, but eight I feel years, like it wasn't eight years. Maybe was it eight? Yeah, I, maybe I'm wrong, but uh... I don't think it was that long. I think it was shorter than that, and maybe somebody can fact check me. But I think it. for as long as Jasper's been there. For him to then turn around and be like, oh, yeah, beat Navy. I think that'd be a hard pill to swallow. But, again, considering, like, he would love Not to have a if you job. lose your job. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it becomes well, a much right. easier – yeah, it becomes you're a much right. easier prospect if your paycheck is on the table. No, uh, you're absolutely right. Therein lies the rub. Five years for Munkin at Navy, my fault. He was with Paul Johnson yeah. longer, yeah. So I think five years that that's easy. I think you can you can go away from that and, and very easily now I think Munkin is now ingrained uh in the army life to where he wouldn't go back ever. Mm. Um mm. so um it's just seemed interesting. Like I could never do anything at the Naval Academy and, and do it with my whole heart. So I'm just thinking about it, I guess, a little bit from a, uh, from that perspective. Uh, Joseph uh, Cockerell says, I believe if you have to, that you have a true option quarterback, he plays, he calls the plays, give, keep, or pitch. I definitely get the sense that in some of the bigger spots this season, they wanted to take those decisions out of the quarterback's hands for better or worse. 
Yeah. I, I just, I'm just telling you, I, this is what I think I saw, whether it's right or wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, th I think honestly, it, it depends on, it depends on the scheme that the defense is playing. Right. So if the defense is spying the quarterback a lot, you want to take it out of his hand so he doesn't have to make a decision. And maybe you make a, you scheme a play around the defense that they're playing, but like, yes, a true triple option quarterback, he comes out, he's not even calling the play. He's just student body left, student body, right. I'm pulling it. I'm pitching it or I'm taking it myself. And that seems so easy, but mm. try try and run a triple option. Take take a Nerf football outside with your kids and try and do that, you know, with your dogs. And you'll probably end up tripping over yourself because it's a lot harder than it looks. And so, yeah, calling the play, that's the easy part. But to give the keep or the pitch, that where it becomes a problem because if that linebacker is faking a blitz and he's crashing hard and you pull it, and then he scrapes out and then he prevents you and feathers the pitch, then you're screwed. Right. So yeah. again, there's, there's some defensive keys that have to happen, but uh, either, <laughs> either way, I think, uh, you know, a true option quarterback, we've had him in the past. It doesn't necessarily lead to victory. I think he just has to be a real-rounded athlete. Uh, Chuck Phillips checking in with, let's make sure Mrs. Munkin's happy. If she's happy, the coach will stay. Uh I don't know how much truth there is to that. I think if, uh, you know, we, we know that in the past couple of years, Coach Munkins uh, had his name out there for some power five schools. And uh, we'll see. I mean, this year I was surprised that he, that the Duke didn't play a little, he was, there was maybe not more out there with Duke. I thought Duke was might, might've been the spot for him, but uh, they went a different direction and it's, it looks like another year for coach at West Point. So we'll see. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's amazing because it seems like there's a, a shelf life there. And like, you know, we used to hear Troy Calhoun was going to leave Air Force to go somewhere. And then for whatever reason, you just don't hear that anymore. And I don't think he's a worse coach. I don't think Air Force has had less success really as a team. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I know a lot of Army fans hope Coach Munkin stays for uh, – forever pretty much so uh, we'll see how that plays out guys man it's been yeah, a blast. i'm sorry maybe maybe if we just keep saying that every off season enough <laughs> like we just want him to stay forever and we'll build him a statue maybe if we just keep saying that enough and enough people keep saying it it'll just come to fruition and our our, our staff will just mostly stay intact uh, yeah like, I, I think eventually we may have to add a section to the stadium and like Kind of name it after Coach Munkin. Very yeah, the Munkin like, box. Yeah, like, <laughs> hey, it worked for K State. Bill Snyder stayed there for like a thousand years. I mean, I think like his children are like on the coaching staff now. But it's mm -hmm. it, you know, by having a long-term coach at your program, there's not essentially bad so long as you're performing. And I think having a coach that understands how to recruit the players for Army is the most critical piece. And we can say anybody can do it, but obviously there's a skill that Coach Munkin has that not a lot of the coaches that we've had in that interim period before he arrived at Army really were able to do. I mean, yes, we had talented players, but being able to bring those talented players in, put them in a system where they're successful, I mean, I think this is kind of like the perfect match, and we haven't had it for a while. And it's nice to tune in on a Saturday and watch an Army game and, one, not have a heart attack because, you know, they're losing – you know, eight games in the season by a point or, you know, actually having some wins and going to a postseason bowl game. So I think, you know, it's important to have the right coach. I think Coach Munkin is the right coach for the time. And, you know, the longer he stays, the more he, he gets to build the program. And, you know, he's he's building a legacy at Army right now. He's, he's slowly creeping up on all-time wins lists and all-time home wins lists and all these things that, like, 
no other coach has been able to do with longer tenures at Army than he has. You know, so I think I think if you're looking at your legacy, it's you know, it's what your program does. You you know, unlike the Army, it's what your program does after you leave. But Mm. at the at West Point, it's what your program does while you're there. And so that's what people are going to remember is, you know, how well he coached and the legacy of the teams that came through the place while he was there. Yeah, that's a great point, Rob, too. I wonder how much with each passing year, if it gets more difficult for him to walk away from it because he's more ingrained and more entrenched in building that legacy. Um, And, and I wonder, I wonder how much he gives thought to, do I want to just stay here and supplant myself as the greatest coach to ever coach at West point? Or if he doesn't care about that, I, I don't know. I've, I don't know him on that level to ask him that question. I doubt he would ever say that out loud. Uh, it's just something to think about uh, when you get into the, the psyche of a, a head football coach at uh, the college level. Uh, I think it's a little interesting to, to contemplate. Yeah, I think that he has an idea of what it takes to win where he's at at West Point and where he would go in, be considered for a job. And if that school cannot provide what he, he feels like he needs to win, He's going to stay at West Point because he knows he can get a lot, right, guys. He knows he can get just about everything he needs right at West Point to uh, win win football games and have successful teams and uh, successful um, uh, guys who graduate as second lieutenants too. So I think. Yeah, that's- sorry, we keep. I, I I'm sorry, we just <laughs> we keep pushing this and keep going longer, and I'm keeping these guys. They hate me for it. I know it, but I also wonder now. In the next few years, as we build this addition to the stadium and kind of round out Mikey, and and we've heard uh, Mr. Buddy talk about how he wants it to be a destination for people of New York City, you know, how much does that play a factor into to him him staying, and and how much Army get getting on the the national scale even more so than we already are plays well, a factor. Yeah. And CBS uh, yeah. badly needs Army to be relevant because they just lost yeah. the SEC and they, they're going to hang their whole hat on uh, service academy football. They, they really don't have a lot of choice. Right. Good point. Good right. point. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I was going to say fact or fiction. Will there be a Munkin statue when the, the stadium renovation is complete? I don't think you build a statue before the man leaves. Personal opinion. No. No. Yeah, but, you, but you can at least build the stand overlooking the Hudson. <laughs> man it's been great guys uh we're all gonna right. wrap this one up but uh well thanks for all the feedback from the our, our black knight nation all the fans and thanks for you guys and uh dan connor and rob for answering the questions and giving your opinions on the season uh you guys want to uh just again tell people where they can find you uh i am at dano Icabesa on twitter and at as for football or as for football.com Rob is our main man on LinkedIn, so you can find Rob on on uh, LinkedIn. I'll let him speak for himself. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. There's As for Football. Surprise, surprise. That's where you can find us. But uh, just look for us anywhere that says As for Football, and uh, we will get you looped in. Uh, thanks again for having us on, Sal. Yeah, uh, thanks, Sal. Thanks, Dan. Rob, I uh, appreciate the, the discussion as always. You can find me at Captain Cons just about anywhere and uh, listen to Zero Blog 30. Anywhere you listen to podcasts uh, and on social at at zero blog three zero. Thanks so much for the opportunity to talk Army football. Absolutely. If you guys are watching today, uh, our Black Knight Nation YouTube channel, give it a subscribe, like, uh, comment. We've been getting a lot of feedback from it, and uh, we'll have podcasts like this in the future. Guys, it's been great. Uh, ha- have a good night. Thanks. You too, Sal. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody.
Cheers. Happy New Year.